Welcome to the Toes in the Line podcast. And man, let me tell you guys something, man. This damn quarantine period we've been through six damn months out here in northern New Jersey, New York, has been a hell of a ride. Let me tell you that much, man. We just finally, I just finally got back to work last week. Um, happy Labor Day, by the way. This is going to be the second week of official work back on campus at Fordham University. And I'll tell you what, man, being home for six months had its ups and had its down, man. I'll be honest, because... Uh, it was good. Um, it sucked because you're just home and you get bored. You get sucked into a bunch of stuff. But, man, I did a bunch of stuff. Man, I started this podcast. Um, started my website, CoachGeoGrassi.com. Make sure you check that out. Uh, shoot, what else did I do, man? I don't know. Puzzles. Took pictures of every sunset. Um, every single night that was. Um, read some books. My wife read about 30-something books. I swear to God she did. Um, she averaged about three books a week, man. You go, babe. She was killing it. Um, what else did I do, man? I made bread, made croissants. Uh, shoot. Made tomato sauce with pops. You know, we Italians, so that, that's, that's what we do. That's, that, that's uh, family traditional stuff right there. Um, but it was fun, man. I mean, it was all right. It wasn't too bad, but now I'm back at work. We're grinding. Uh, you know, no college football this season for us, unfortunately, but, you know, we're, we're, the grind don't stop, so... Um, we're going to keep it going, keep trucking, uh, find ways to improve, whether we're in the weight room or we're on the field doing some, some work, you know? Um, and that's that, man. Just, uh, it's funny cause a lot of people have been, uh, hitting me up and they're like, oh, Gio, man, we want to hear a little bit about you, man, a little bit about you. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of something about me outside of coaching. All right. Jersey city guy, um, grew up there. I was born in Italy, so I don't live in Jersey City no more. Moved out when I got married uh, with my wife back in uh, 2018. Um, besides all that stuff, man, listen, I'm, I'm a heavy video gamer, man. You catch me on Madden, right? I'll, I'll beat your ass on the sticks, man. FIFA, I'll take you out on the sticks, all right? Fortnite, I got a nice little team going. Uh, shout out, you know, PZ Blake. Those those are the original twos. Crane, we lost, so we're down a man, but we picked up White Kobe, and you know, keeping things going. We ain't played that game in a while. They stuck in that PGA stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, shoot. Other than that, man, big fantasy football player, big fantasy football player, man. I'm talking about the biggest advice I gave people last year was pick up Lamar Jackson in about the eighth round. Everybody that did won they <laughs> won they league. So I'd like to say I'm a fantasy football guru. You know what I'm saying? But this year, I got to tone that down a bit, man. Taking up too much of my time. But um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So real quick, with this episode, I split this thing up into two because me and Kitch, man, we spent about an um, hour and 20 minutes um, just talking about development psychology with athletes and stuff. And I thought what you know he brought to the table was unbelievable and invaluable that I had to break it up into two because I don't want to lose the listener's interest because I know for a fact after 30 minutes, shit gets boring. And people just turn it off. You ain't going to pause it. You ain't going to get back to it. Trust me. That's big facts. All right? Because I do that. I pause it. I probably never get back to the episode. So I break it up into two. So without further ado, get ready. Line them up. Lock and load. Get ready to go. Welcome to the Toes on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi. Today, I'm with my man, Dave Kitchens. Dave, what up, baby? What's going on, big dog? Appreciate you having me on, man. Now, nah, all good, man. Listen, I appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to take a little detour today. We're going to talk something new that you put me on to. 
uh, development psychology. So before we even talk about that, Dave, uh, I want to I want to know a little bit more about yourself because I know about you, but I don't know too deep into your history. You know, high school stuff, college wise, uh, and, and how you took off from there, and how you got into strength and conditioning. So, if you just want to talk about that stuff first, uh, and then we'll get the dice rolling, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, I mean, jump right into it, dude. I was a was a collegiate athlete. I uh, played D three ball um, at, at Susquehanna University in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, it was an awesome opportunity. I, I kind of, to for lack of better terms, man, being completely transparent, I kind of pissed it away. Um, had some attitude problems and and kind of never lived up to my potential. So I think that was something that kind of drove me throughout my career then was trying to make amends for for what I did in college. And, you know, not that I got kicked off the team or anything like that, but just the, the lack of, of my knowledge and my experience at that time kind of drove me later in my career. Um, so from college, you know, I, I got into business, actually. I was selling IT systems for the first year after school, and, and I was miserable um, and started coaching high school ball on the side, actually on the field, coaching D-line, uh, running the weight room. And that was when it hit me, man. I was like, this is what I want to do, and, and this is where I want to be. So started sending out letters to Division One schools, um, sent out probably 50, 60 letters <clears throat> offering to intern for free. Um, Coach Hammer out at Robert Morris gave me a shot, and, and I packed up my Jeep, quit my job, and drove out to Pittsburgh, lived in a little one-bedroom apartment, man, and, and just, you know, thugged it out for a year and, and a little well, a little under a year is about probably about five months. Um, and then ended up coming home. I ran out of money and I went to work a camp at Bloomsburg University. And uh, while I was there working the camp to make money to pay my rent, I actually met their head strength coach, um, Bill Perkins, who's a big-time mentor of mine. Um, and he was able to offer me an internship there, which was about 40 minutes from my hometown. So I was able to live at home. Um, Spent about two years at Bloomsburg. So I went from being an intern, um, then within a couple months got promoted to being a, an assistant. Um, and then they actually, you know, through a bunch of work and, and working with the administration, we were able to expand the strength and conditioning department um, and create a, a director of strength and conditioning role that was over everything as opposed to just having the football entity. Um, and I was lucky enough to get that position. Um, so I got my first director job at, at 23 years old, uh, turned 24 right after I took the job. Um, so stayed there for about a year doing that. It was awesome opportunity, man. You you know, you think, you know, everything as an intern and as an assistant, and then you get to sit in that seat and you find out you don't know anything. Um, and that was the biggest thing I took away from that, you know, but it was really cool to get that opportunity before I was ready. Um, so from there I started reaching out to other people and I kind of thought, you know, I want to get back into division one and kind of go to the bigger, bigger level, I guess, and see where, how far I can push this thing. Um, so I was lucky enough to get an opportunity at UNLV um, under coach Sean Manuel. So I was out there for, for two years as the assistant director of football strength and conditioning. Um, you know, phenomenal opportunity for me, man. Coach Manny is, is one of the best in the business um, when it comes to sprint mechanics and some of the velocity-based training stuff that we did was, was really in-depth and really cool. Um, it exposed me to a whole new, you know, mindset of training. Um, so that was an awesome opportunity for me. And then from there, I, I got an opportunity to come back and kind of go full circle um, come back and be the head strength coach at my alma mater. So I got to come back and, and be at Susquehanna University as the director of strength and conditioning there where I was over 23 sports. Um, got to bring, you know, a guy with me from UNLV, Marcus White, um, who was my assistant. He's now out of East Carolina or uh, Western Carolina, sorry. But, um, you know, Marcus came out and then we lived in a house together. I couldn't pay him. Um, and that dude grinded, man. So shout out to him. He made that whole thing possible. Uh, you know, had a really, really good time. It was really good for me to get back and, and be in my roots and be at Susquehanna and spend some time in my alma mater and, and get to impact people there. Um, and then from there, I got the opportunity to coach Don Day, who was, you know, one of my fellow interns at Robert Morris. Um, and we, you know, we had stayed friends for years. 
And he gave me a call and said he got the director job at Georgia Southern and asked me if I was interested in coming down and running the basketball program, being the assistant director down there. Um, so I did that, was down there for the past year, had a phenomenal um, year there, you know, great, great experience. Obviously, things got cut short with the, the whole COVID-19 thing. Um, but, you know, great group of guys, man, great staff to be around. Um, you know, Coach Day was awesome, really gave me a long leash and kind of let me run things my way and, and build something special there. So, you know, and then I kind of shifted gears again, man, and, and started looking at the Ph.D. route and then getting into something different, which you alluded to with the developmental psychology side. Um, so I actually took a, a private sector job. I just joined the uh, Elite Custom Fitness team up here in, in uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So I'm up here now in the private sector. Um, trying to build a build a monster, if you will, um, and working on my PhD in developmental psych. So, you know, fired up for this this next opportunity. I actually just moved to Pennsylvania on Monday, so still getting settled up here. But you know, it's it's been a wild ride, man. Strength and conditioning's a, a crazy industry, and you know, it's been been really good to me, and I'm really grateful to be in it. You know, so excited to see where I go next. Yeah, definitely, man. Let's talk about some of your some of your internship experiences because I don't think a lot of uh, kids coming out nowadays understand the role of having to take these, you know, unpaid roles, these volunteer positions, putting in the time to grind. Like, and you having to move to, where was it, Robert Morris, you said? Yeah, I moved to Pittsburgh, yep. Right, moving to Pittsburgh and then running out of cash to, like, spend, <laughs> you know, for whatever you got, you know, food especially. You know, talk, yeah. about, talk, about, talk about that experience because when I try to explain to my interns, say, hey, look, you know, I used to wake up at 3 a.m. and drive one hour south to go to Rutgers um, back in 2016 to coach from, like, 5 to 12 leave at 12, come back to Fairleigh Dickinson and, and, you know, do another uh, GA ship there from, you know, one to five and then leave there at five and go work a job from 5.30 to like eight, you know, and just not understanding the, the work for free, work for free, work for free eventually pays off. Talk about your time at Robert Morris, man. I'm interested to hear what, you know, what happened out there. Yeah, man, it was, it was a really interesting time for me because I was actually older than the other interns. Um, so you talk about humbling yourself, man. I, I was, uh, you know, I was a year older than everybody else, a little over a year. I'd been out of school for a year. Um, you know, I was coming in with coaching experience. I'd already been coaching at the high school level for a year and a half. Um, and, you know, Coach Hammer kind of threw me in the fire right away. Um, I wasn't getting paid, but he, he treated us all like assistants. I mean, it, it was what it was. And, you know, you did the intern duty. So we get in in the morning and, you know, scrub the protein and scrub the protein machine and, and all that. Um, but at the same time, he gave us the opportunity to coach. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where, you know, no matter how bad things were outside of, of work, as far as, you know, what was going on in, in your personal life, because you were working for free, you know, it was one of those things where coming in there, we all had an understanding that you don't complain. There's no complaints. You walk in, everybody's going through the same thing. You know, we all, we've all been there. Coach Hammer had been there. You know, the assistants there, Ryan Nozak had been there. Um, you know, everybody understood that this is what you got to do if you really want to be here. And, you know, there's that, that quote that's like the brick walls are not there to keep you out. They're there to find out who really wants to be in. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's what internships are all about, man. Like it's, it's tough, man. And, and it's part of it. And, you know, I, I understand where people are coming from saying, Hey, I can't live on this and I can't, you know, it's not feasible to work for free. Well, the reality is this, if you really want to be in this thing, it's part of the deal. It's part of the deal, man. And yeah, there is a, a you know, there's a reward system in it. And for me personally, the way I look at it, you know, when I was an intern and now running internship programs, the biggest thing that I can give these interns is A, my knowledge and B, my contact list. But right. neither of those That's things are free. That's yeah, and ne one. neither of those things are free, man. Neither mm -hmm. of those things are free, you know? And, and to me, you know, ultimately, 
if I give you, so say you come in and I pay you, you know, $10,000 to be an intern, but you do a terrible job and I don't recommend you for a job. That, what was that worth to you? You know what I mean? What, what did you really get out of it? You don't get anything. You know what I mean? So to me, if you come in and you work hard and you, and you do the things that set you apart from other interns, um, you know, that's when the benefits really kick in and that's what ends up leading you down the road. And I look at, you know, coach hammer who has been a mentor and a friend to me ever since the day I stepped into, you know, Robert Morris, um, this guy's done more for me in my career than, than most people, you know? So it's, it's one of those things where you just have to understand the realities of what you're getting into. And you got to understand that there is a reason it's positive suffering. You know what I'm saying? You got to understand that and you have to have that mentality about it the whole time. So, you know, I think it also gives you valuable experiences in life. It's like, figure it out. You know what I mean? There, there was a point, like you just alluded to, you know, where I was broke. I was out of money. I mean, I had in my one bedroom apartment, man, I, I had my bed on the floor. I had a green, you know, plastic uh, storage bin. That was, it was my TV stand. It was my nightstand. It was my kitchen table and it was my desk. You know, it did everything. That thing was the best 10 bucks I ever spent. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that is part of it, but, when you run out of money and you have to tell yourself, okay, what am I going to do next? Cause I don't want to get out of this field. What am I going to do to make money? And that's when the opportunities start to come. You know, it's like they, they say in sports, like the game honors toughness, right? Well, I think strength and conditioning honors toughness. I think if you're willing to find a way that gets repaid, you know? So by me showing that, that I was willing to drive, you know, five hours to work a camp just to make enough money to pay my rent for the next month so I could stay at Robert Morris you know, I ended up getting an opportunity at another school through that, you know? So it's like those things happen for a reason um, and they happen because you're willing to do the work, you know? So I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, and, and it's not a knock. I don't want to sit here and be the old grumpy guy that says, oh, young guys don't work. You know, I, there are kids that work. But at the same time, I think a lot of people, you know, come into this industry and they want the quick fix and they want, they ask you the questions, how do I get to here? How do I get to where you're at? And these things. And it's like, you know the answer, you just don't want to hear it. You want me to say something other than what you know I'm going to say, which is do the work. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's the tough part, I think, for a lot of people is in this world of hacks and shortcuts and overnight success, everybody wants to, you know, run run right up to the, the head spot and be like, oh, well, I was an intern for a month and then I became a GA and then I was an assistant and then I was like, no, man, like, that's not how it works, Yeah, you know? And that's, that's, that's my two cents on it without being the angry old man. That's back in my day. You know what I mean? But it's, <laughs> it is what it is, man. You got to go through it as part of it. I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I did two of them. There was a point where, you know, and we'll share a couple horror stories for you real quick. There was a point where we found a, uh, me and Eric Jones, who is now the assistant at Robert Morris. He worked for me. He was an intern for me at, at Bloomsburg. We found a couch out back by, by a dumpster. We got it cut in half and brought it into the uh, equipment room because I was working as the equipment manager as well to pay the bills. Um, and we put a couch in there and that's where we, we would sleep in there. And you know, that, oh, that was, that was just, that was how we did it. You know, that was what it was. And it's, it just was part of the, part of the process. You know what I mean? But it's, it's a beautiful part of the process when you get to the end and you look back and you're like, man, that's what I was doing. Now look at, at the life I'm able to live. And you know, the fact that I'm getting paid to still do what I love. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's, and it definitely shows like, you know, if you grinded your ass off, for free, you know, when you start getting paid, you're just going to continue to grind your ass off. Cause dude, I'll be honest. I, I was a uh, part-time paid strength coach when I first got to Fordham 2018. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was only getting paid 15 grand a year for 2018 and the, the majority of 2019 until uh, they finally made me full-time last August. Uh, they're taking care of me now, but 
listen, I never bitched about money. I never bitched about the hours I worked. The only thing I bitched about was, fuck, I got to leave here and I got to get to another place on, on time just so I can get paid a little bit, you know, that I can't be. <laughs> so I, think yeah. I bitched about, ah, the fucking New York traffic's killing me, man. I got to get, I got to get to this gym. Yeah, but I was working at Fordham. Yeah. I was working at a private facility. And I'm like, fuck, I got to make ends meet, but I don't want to be a strength coach. So I'm going to put yeah. in the, putting the full, double the full-time hours now, getting paid part-time, whatever. I love football. I'm going to help there. Uh, coaching track and field. Those are my teams, track, baseball, and uh, water polo. Mm-hmm. Coach those teams no different than, than, than a full-time guy uh, w- would be coaching them. And, you know, eventually, you know, it paid out. I'm getting paid full-time hours now. And I tell my interns this story all the time. And I say, hey, look, you know, but even before I got the part-time, listen, I was working for fucking free for like three years before that just because I knew what, I, what the end right. was, you know? Yeah, you have to. And, and it's, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about there, there's a young lady. Uh, she won't care that I shout her out because she, she's a rock star, man. Um, Autumn Lockwood is her name. She's the assistant director at uh, East Tennessee State. She's the women's basketball strength coach out there. She interned for me at, at UNLV. Um, she had interned at Arizona prior to that. So we were her second internship. That young lady used to work overnight shifts at the Caesars Palace location of Nike, the Nike store in Caesars Palace. Mm. Um, and she would work overnight there and then come in and work the 6 a.m. football groups and never miss a beat. And you want to talk about a dog? I mean, she was a warrior. You know, she came in and worked. And so when she got the opportunity, you know, less than two years later to be an assistant director, I mean, people are surprised. People are like, where this, where'd she come from? Well, I'm not surprised. Cause I saw the way she works, you know what I'm saying? And so I use her as an example to my interns now. And, and we did some pretty cool stuff over this quarantine of bringing the, the you know, the quote, quote unquote coaching tree together um, and doing zoom calls and bringing everyone in the same room and allowing them to, to get experience with each other. Um, and she was one of the people that was in there. And I said, Autumn, can you just share your story? Just explain to them what your day to day looked like. And you could see that for some people that was so far outside the realm of where they were willing to push. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's the key to it. Like you were just talking about, you know, you got to leave here and go to another job. Well, that's you making a decision that what I want is a little bit outside my reach. That means I got to push my comfort zone a little bit further. I got to keep pushing just a little bit more and stay underneath this pressure because I know on the other side is what I want. You know what I mean? And I think that's a mindset that, that has to be developed at a young age and developed through, through the internship process. And, and, you know, it has to carry over to other things and, if it does, then you get, you know, success stories like an Autumn Lockwood, like yourself, you know, like myself, like, you know, and obviously we all have a long way to go on the, on the tower of success, but we're doing what we want to do and we're getting paid for it. And that's a result, direct result of the way we worked when we weren't getting paid for it. Yeah, definitely, man. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said po- the positive suffering, because you, know, you are going to suffer. You're going to learn what it's, what it's like waking up early for shit, you know, what it's like staying 12, 14 hours, you know, for shit and not getting paid. And then, you know, going through the process, but you're learning. That's the positive side of it. The suffering is just the working, the voluntary stuff, the work for free aspect. But everybody's been yeah. there. You know, but like yeah. you said, hey, look, bust your ass. I'll recommend you. Now you got access to my, you know, contact list, which is, you know, pretty extensive for, you know, coaches that have been, been around for a while. But at the same time, it's like, hey, look, if you're going to sit here and bitch and complain, you know, you'll just be stacking the fucking protein fridge for three months, you know? Yeah, yeah, seriously. And, and, and if somebody calls me about it, I tell my interns it's straight up, I'll never lie for you. I won't, I won't do it. Whatever, oh, hell no. you, you are directly responsible for what kind of recommendation or reference I give you. Your, your work ethic directly influences what that answer is and whether, you know, whether I recommend you or not. So if you want me to say something good about you, you better make me say something good. Yeah. 
I mean, you can't lie for him. At the same time, so say I call you for one of your interns, you lie to me, I hire him, he sucks. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to call Dave Kitchens no more. I'm, I'm yeah, done never again. To, you know, and, that's, and that's not fair. That's not fair to the future interns. It's not fair to the people. Right. And it's disrespectful to the good interns who came before them because yeah. it, lessens, it lessens their name as well. Yeah, and then you lose an honest relationship, to, you know, because of someone else's work ethic and whatnot. But it is what it is, man. But hey, man, here you are now doing your thing. You know, it's, I mean, great job getting your PhD, uh, working on your PhD, man. It's, it's a, you know, one of my goals I aspire to hopefully do one day. But let's talk about development psychology, man. Like, what is it? What are you studying? What are you seeing? And, you know, let, let's just talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, so, so honestly, man, I, I kind of, I would say probably, man, 20 maybe 2017, 2018, I really started to get like almost borderline obsessed with the, the concepts of leadership and, and what goes into, you know, the old argument, are leaders born or are they made and, and all this stuff. So I started really, really studying some social psychology and, you know, behavioral psychology and all these different things that go into personality traits and yada, yada, yada. And it really led me down this, this rabbit hole. Um, and I couldn't get enough of it, man. So I was like, you know what? I want to really understand this at a level that other people don't, <laughs> um, you know, selfishly. Um, I want to understand this stuff. So what I did was started to do some research, you know, what, what kind of psych do I want to get into? And I found developmental psychology, which is basically the study of how a human changes over their lifespan. Uh-huh. Um, so starting with, you know, the, the infancy all the way to, you know, obviously old age and, and eventually death. Um, but it's a study of how you change within that. And there's different sub, you know, subsections and subfields, um, whether you're looking at, you know, physical changes, um, or emotional changes or whatever. Um, so for me personally, I'm looking more towards, um, you know, the leadership traits and focusing my research on that, on when, when and where did those develop and what types of things play into those. Obviously there's, there's some, you know, there's some impact from like childhood experiences and those types of things as we all know. Um, but you know, ultimately that's what I want to understand is how do we create better leaders and what do we need to do, um, as leaders to, to foster leaders below us and how do we teach them, um, to lead at a high level and what things play into that. Eric Erickson's I, I right. We, we exchanged texts about him a couple days ago. Like you've been reading about him or like, who is he? And like, is he like the big man on like yeah. development psychology or what? what Cause that, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. I've been seeing his stuff. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's one of the older uh, one of the older psychologists. Um, this is a really unique work on like psychosocial development and the theory of lifespan development. Uh-huh. Um, basically, he kind of came up with these points of redefinitions, um, which are points where a person has to <coughs> redefine themselves based on circumstances, etc. So, like, say you you know you have a child, right, and you have to redefine yourself as a man at that point. Like your, your needs and your wants, all those things have to shift. Your whole perspective has to shift and it's kind of your definition of who you are and what you're about kind of has to shift as well. Mm. Um, and so he comes up with these concepts of redefinitions. And so basically what, what he developed was stages of, of development throughout the lifespan. Um, he just basically said that there was a crisis at each stage and how you, dem- how you respond to those crises will dictate what you will do in the next stage. So like the first stage is, you know, from age zero to age one, you learn trust or mistrust, right? And that's as simple as, you know, if you're fed as a baby, then you learn to trust your mother that she's going to feed you or she's going to come back for you, right? If, mm. the, if you're left unfed, then the first thing you learn is mistrust. You don't trust that you're going to be fed, right? And then it goes into, you know, autonomy versus doubt, initiative versus guilt, industry and inferiority. 
um, identity versus role confusion. Are you one person? Are you, are you moving in between roles? Um, then when you become a young adult, you have to give up, you know, your intimacy or your, your isolation. So your own, you know, personal me, me, me selfishness, um, for intimacy towards someone else, right? You have to give that up. So, and then when you get into your middle adulthood, it's general generality and self-absorption. So like being generous and starting to give to your family, um, versus just you and your partner's needs or just your needs. Um, and then towards old age, it's integrity and despair. So you're looking at, you know, you can look back on your life. Are you happy about who you are and what you become? Or you see those old people that are very, very sour and bitter, right? And that's because they're looking back and, and they're not happy with what, how it played out. You know, it just is what it is. Um, now, obviously, this theory has changed a lot since then. Um, there's been a lot of things built off of it. So it's not the gold standard by any means. There were, there were some holes poked in it by, by multiple researchers. Um, but it's a pretty cool concept and it's a pretty cool framework. Um, and you still see it impact a lot of, of psychosocial and, and a lot of developmental psychology now. Um, so it is, it's a useful thing to think about, um, especially if you relate it back to athletics and you look at, you know, when you look at kids that, that come into your program and you look at the experiences they've had, right? If you have, so for instance, you have a young man, right, who grew up in a, maybe a tough situation. We'll, we'll, paint, we'll paint a picture. We'll say he's coming from Compton, California, um, tough neighborhood, single parent household. Dad was in and out of jail, brothers in a gang, um, you know, whatever those type was, was exposed to violence at a young age. Okay, what are the odds that he's going to walk into your program and trust a male role model or a male authority figure? Okay. Probably pretty uh, slim, right? Pretty if, he was low, exposed, yeah. if, he was, yeah, if he was exposed to all those things. So where do you have to go? You have to go all the way back to the trust stage, right? Mm. You know what I mean? So it kind of builds that framework for you. So when you're working with athletes, you can kind of start to understand, all right, why is this athlete responding in a certain way? Or you look at like, you know, do they have self-efficacy? Do they have, you know, self-confidence that they can do something? Or is he somebody that shuts down all the time? And is that, is that an insecurity or is that, where does that stem from? And then as you get to know him, well, you find out that his big brother was, you know, a five-star athlete and used to beat the hell out of him all the time at everything. And so the kid has no, he has no self-confidence. You know, he's been beat down his whole life. He's been second fiddle his whole life. You know, so maybe that's where the, where, that's where the, you know, the, the lack of self-confidence come from, or maybe that's where the chip on his shoulder comes from. You know, maybe that's why he's working the way he's working because he was beat down his whole life. So, but it just gives you a framework to better understand your athletes and better understand the people you're trying to lead. Um, if you understand some of these concepts and, and obviously everyone doesn't have to hold a PhD in it. Um, it's just me being selfish and wanting to, to learn as much as I possibly can and grow as much as I possibly can. Um, but it really gives you a better understanding of how people function and, and where the decision-making processes that they have come from. Cause a lot of times when you look at things, and you look at people that make mistakes or, or aren't reaching their goals or whatever, it's a flaw in their process somewhere. You know, mm -hmm. it's a flaw in their decision-making process. So if you can really break that down into the different pieces, and there's a million variables, but if you can break that down into the different pieces of, you know, their, their psychoanalytics or, or whatever it may be, their childhood experiences and those types of things, you can get a better grasp on what you can do to fill in those, those holes and fill in those gaps, you know, so ultimately it makes you a better leader. Now, that's dope, man. Hey, look, you, you got to be selfish when you want to be great at something, man, because I, I, I never seen or met one great person at something that's not selfish and, you know, stuff that they're studying. So keep doing you, brother. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to dive down rabbit holes and get a piece <laughs> of life, man. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I heard you. I heard you got your, what do they say? Play a hater degree, right? That's what you got. <laughs> 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 something like that, man. I'm just trying to pick uh, everybody's brain a little bit, you know? 
Hey, that well, dude, you, you can learn from everybody, man. I'll, I, I say this before. I said it on another podcast, but I firmly believe it. If somebody is the best in the world at blowing up balloons, I want to sit down with them for an hour because I guarantee they know something about greatness, and I guarantee that I can learn something from that person. A hundred percent, man. And that, that's, you know, and to be honest, that, that's the whole thing behind my podcast, man. I'm trying to bring, you know, anybody and every, everyone who could bring some great value to the table, man. And, you know, development psychology, once you brought it to my attention, I'm like, shit, this is, this is a rabbit hole. We're going to dive down this one. But <laughs> I want to, I want to go back a little bit. Cause you said th- there's a certain age where like someone's going through that, you know, identity and like role, not role crisis, but like role confusion mm-hmm. uh, part of their life. More, more like, like, Teenage, it sounds like teenage, late teenage years. It's, it's exactly what it is, 11, 11 to 18. Oh, 11 to 18. Okay, so like you get someone, I don't know, because I, like, I feel like nowadays everyone's got, you know, alter egos, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> trying to think who's got no, I know I got an alter ego. Shoot, man. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm coaching and I'm just regular geo on, on the regular, you know, but. Right, right. Uh, like, I don't know. It's just crazy, like, thinking about that. Because, like, even when I was a teenager, I thought I was someone greater <laughs> than who I actually was. I thought I was fucking Absolutely. unstoppable. I thought I was the man of the man. I think I guess everyone goes through there, but like, I don't know, it, college athlete, do, do you think that that bleeds into the 20s? And, and how, how would oh, that affect definitely. someone's growth, man? Definitely, man. And then I think, you know, when you when you look at identity, and, and, and this was something I studied as well in my master's program when I was doing sports, like, if you look at identity, man, so many athletes tie their, their identity. And when I say identity, I mean their self-worth, you know, who they are at the core. They, they, everything is tied around something that is fragile, like an ad, like a, like a sport, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you look at that and you see how it bleeds into their, their life, man, it does on every level, you know? And I think as they're coming through that 18 to 22 year old, um, you know, time in their life coming from a, a very selfish time of 15 to 18, where they were the man or some of these kids, you know, AAU and stuff starts at 11. So maybe 11 to 18 where, they were absolutely, you know, like you just said, they're the shit and you can't tell them anything. Yeah. Um, so coming into, you know, especially division one setting or any competitive athletic setting where maybe they're not the guy, you know, that can really shake people. And you see guys that come in I and mean, we've all seen it, right? A guy that comes in and he's a five-star guy or a three-star guy or whatever he is. He's, he's supposed to be, you know, everything and, and a bag of chips and he comes in and he never plays a snap. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what happened? Where was the disconnect between the talent and the actual, you know, between the potential and what actually happened? Um, and that's, that's something that's our role as a coach to get them to understand that you can't just tie your identity to a sport. It has to be just about you maximizing your potential. Whatever your potential is as a person, that's your process. And you need to be obsessed with your own process. You can't compare it to, to Joe's. You can't compare it to Jim's. You can't compare it to anybody else's because your process is your process. It's based on your experiences, your predispositions, all these different things. So our job as coaches is to get them to hold that perspective of no matter what, I'm committed to maximizing my growth and my potential. And whatever that is at the end is what it is. You know, and I think that's, that's the cool thing. And then as you get older, you know, your, your character really meshes with all that. You know what I mean? And your character becomes almost a, a microcosm of all those different things that are important in your life. Um, and so you start to paint this bigger picture. You know what I mean? And that's when you're true. To me, your true identity comes out. And that's when you really become who you're going to be for the, for the rest of your life. Um, you know, obviously you can change, but, but for a large part, it's going to shape that. Yeah. So does, so that um, Eric Erickson's like his, his, I guess his model, we can call it, right? 
mm-hmm. for what, what is it called for psychological crisis or something like that or development stage stages of psychosocial development stages of psychosocial development so all right so he's got a, a model where it's kind of outlined from someone's life to death does does that somewhat because now that i'm thinking about it does, does that cycle like repeat itself at a very minute uh, span when a kid enters college, does he have to? He has to, you know, obviously do that trust mistrust thing all over again, right? Yeah, um, I, I think and, so. I, I, I absolutely. I, obviously, it's not going to take as long to develop these traits as it did from ages zero to nineteen. But I'm, I'm thinking, even when you, you know, step in as a freshman, hey, I'm from New Jersey. I'm going to school out in Cali. Man, I got to start this whole show all over again. Even if I go to school in like South Jersey, I got to start this whole process all over again. Where I got to trust these people. I got to trust my coaches again. Uh, I got to develop my own identity again. You know, it's like stuff like that. So. You think they have to re-harness those traits or is it just... Yeah, no, I I definitely think so. And I think it would even potentially be different than the first time that they went through those stages um, due to to their experiences now, you know, because the first time they went through them, they didn't have any previous experiences to build off of Uh um, other other than whatever had, had happened in the stage prior, you know, but now they have a whole 18 years of experiences to build an opinion off of. And I think that, you know, that definitely can, can impact it. And it definitely does happen maybe at a, at a faster rate, like you were saying, almost like a, a mini cycle um, within that. And I think it happens, honestly, anytime you're introduced to a new group, you know, you have to go through a lot of this stuff um, over again, you know, especially some of the, the trust and, and mistrust stuff and autonomy and all that. I mean, you know, the first questions you ask yourself when you meet someone, right, is can I trust this person? Do they have the be- my best interest in mind? What do they want from me? You know, right. those, those are, I mean, on some level, everybody's asking those questions, you know? So, I think that, you know, ultimately when you're 18 to 22, our job as coaches and, and to help them grow is to answer those questions immediately. You know, yes, you can trust me. You know, and that comes by, as we all know as coaches, you know, coaching one-on-one, being honest, being vulnerable, being consistent, right? Being those three things will go a long, long way with your kids, man. Um, because if you're, I mean, if we go back to the, the stages, right? If you're honest, okay, they can trust you, right? If you're consistent, they can trust you, right? And all those things, if you have a vision, right, they can trust you, okay? All those different things are there, man. You're just building that trust, all right? So you have to be those things. And I say all the time, like in leadership, you got to be the constant, not the variable, right? Okay. You have to be the constant in people's lives. You have to be Mr. Consistency in their lives. And especially for some of these kids that are coming from tough situations, man, because that's one thing that they lacked was consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who's the same dude each and every day. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know... I'm not saying black, white, green, purple. I, I'm not talking about a race thing. I'm just talking about it, it could be a white kid from the suburbs, but his mom was, you know, his mom was working all the time and his dad was an alcoholic. Well, that's not a consistent household. Right. You know what I mean? If mom's out of the house on business and dad's on a three-day bender, that I would not call that <laughs> consistent. You know what I'm saying? You don't know shit. I mean, you might have to walk in and check the trash and see what he's been on a bender on. Was he drinking whiskey or was he drinking beer? Because that could be a whole different conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's not consistency. You know, that's not consistency. And so as coaches, we can't let, you know, yesterday's session impact tomorrow or impact today. And we can't let the way, you know, Geo on rack four talk back to me during the 8 a.m. group. Well, I can't, I can't kick the dog during the, the noon group, you know what I mean? And yell at Mark the punter because Geo the tight end yelled at me. Like, that's not fair. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's not consistent. Now I just, I just wrecked all trust that I had with that group. You know what I mean? And so that's a big thing. And, and I think the, uh, the other big one is when I say being vulnerable, I don't necessarily mean like sharing all your emotions with your kids. I don't think you need to do that. Um, but I think being real with them is huge. You know, I share a ton with my guys. They know a lot about me, man. 
I, I am who I am. And the reason I do that is because I know that they can learn and they can pull lessons from the mistakes that I've made in my life. And so I'm just as open about my mistakes as I am about my successes, probably more about my mistakes. I mean, when I coached at, at Susquehanna at my alma mater, I told them the stories about how I screwed my opportunity up. I was very open about that. I told the football guys there, I said, you guys are wearing a helmet that I had. I said, but try and look me up in the stat book. You won't find me. You won't find me Mm -hmm. because I was a nightmare because I couldn't get out of my own way. And so by me being vulnerable like that, there's, there's a respect and there's a reciprocity where they feel like they can give that back to you now and they can be vulnerable and, and their vulnerability might be different. It might not be them telling you stuff necessarily, but now they're open to failing in front of you. And if you're open to failing, then you're willing to try, right? If you're not afraid to fail, you're going to try. And Uh so you open this whole nother door um, as far as maximizing athletic potential and potential as a human, you know, at that point. So I just went on a whole tangent. I kind of lost my train of thought. So I don't, I hope that answered the question. Nah, you're good, man. Cause I was, you're going to lead me into this next point, man. I was just thinking about right now, like if someone comes, like when people have these quote unquote, I don't know, identity crises in their life, like how the hell does that form? How does that develop? And, you know, is that, is that just a bunch of people living in regret or is it just, you know, people comparing themselves to other people, the expectations are yeah. too high and they're not realistic, you know? I, I think the short answer is yes to everything you just said. Um, you know, I, I think yes. I think, uh, you know, especially in today's um, society with social media and what goes on in, in uh, you know, the world and society, um, I do think that there is a high level of pressure put on our, our young men and women to mm-hmm. be something that maybe they're not or maybe they don't want to be. Um, but they feel like they have to be. Um, I mean, how many of our guys, you know, and you, you've, you've coached football, I've coached football, I'll use it as an example because, you know, I'll be open. They have, they, most of them have egos. Um, you know, they put on for the gram, right? They're acting, I mean, we all know the guy, right? He's walking around with his phone, selfie time, this, that, doing a video, and then he comes in and, and he's not putting the same kind of work in. It's because he wants to portray that persona, right? Uh-huh. And that, that, that persona is not necessarily because, you know, that's, that's what he wants to be, but it's because that's what he feels like he should be. You know what I mean? That that's how he wants the world to view him. Um, and anybody can be anything online. I mean, you know, it it is what it is, but I think that that's kind of where those things come from is, is not having a grounded identity in, you know, your values and your core values as a human, as a person, I'm not talking about as an athlete, I'm talking about as a person, like if everything else was stripped away, what do you fight for? Like, what, what are you passionate about as a human? You know what I mean? And I don't think a lot of kids can answer that question. Mm. And, and I think that's, you know, it's okay to not be able to answer it at 18 to 22. But I think by the time you leave at 22, you should have a pretty roundabout answer. You know, you should have something. Um, and, you know, everybody will say, you know, family or whatever. But then their, their actions speak otherwise. You know what I mean? So if you have a kid that says, well, you know, I'm family first, I'm this, I'm that. Okay, that, that's great but you just slept through a 6 a.m. lift. So if you're doing this so that you can take care of your mom, well, you just made a selfish decision because you wanted 15 more minutes of comfort rather than getting up and going to work so that you could do what you said you were passionate about, which is take care of your mother. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think a lot of times it's just perspective issues. I don't think it's necessarily a true identity crisis. No, I do think they happen, man. I do think especially, you know, young men or women that maybe get to get, athletics taken away from them. If a kid has a, an ACL injury or, or career ending injury or something like that, um, I do think there are identity crisis at that point. And I think it is, um, you know, like you said, kind of a, a combination of 
a bunch of different variables such as, you know, trying to be something they're not or trying to be something they, they feel they should be, pressure from home, um, you know, not knowing who they are without athletics. Um, you know, that, that's another big thing. I mean, you look at, especially in the African-American community, um, you know, the pressure that's put on these young men to be successful in athletics is tremendous. This, the pressure that's put on them to be successful in the classroom is minuscule. Yeah. As, as long as they're eligible and they can play ball, nobody cares if they're going to class, right? Yeah, yeah and, at a point, yeah. You know, you know I'm not, I mean, I'm generalizing. Obviously, that's not true all the time. And I'm, I'm saying more at the high school level than the college level. Obviously, you've got to be a little bit more on top of them in college. But, you know, some of these kids, they're told from a young age, whether it's openly or subconsciously, that ball is the way out. You got to play ball and you got to get out. Mm-hmm. And so if ball gets taken away from them, right, what do they do? They don't know who they are without ball because they never were built into, into a structure that supported, you know, other interests and other things that were important. And that's not everybody, man. That's a very general statement. Um, it's a very blanket statement because to, to dive deep into it, we'd, we'd be here all day. <laughs> All right, folks, that was part one. I had to cut it right there, right? Take some time to digest that information. Don't forget to check out part two. And please don't forget to check out the website, CoachGeograssi.com. And if you're so kind, please leave a review. Get back to you, man.